Welcome back, gang. On episode 14 of Thoughts from the Shade, we'll wish a happy belated to our boy Bomb and hear how he spent the weekend. We'll talk about a celebrity sighting, a couple of concerts, and then do a deep dive on the Ben Simmons situation as NBA tip-off approaches. We'll recap the Penn State loss to Iowa, evaluate the coach, the program, and the current injury situation for the Nets. Switching sports, we'll talk some hockey for the first time as the Flyers drop the puck on the regular season this coming Friday night. We'll round it out with a recap of the Eagles win and give our picks with Tampa coming to town on Thursday night. If you're enjoying the show, let us know. Follow us on Instagram and rate, like, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget this episode is brought to you by Shamrock Sun. If you're tired of running out of sunscreen too soon, they've got you covered. Go to shamrocksun.com and enter promo code SHADE in all caps when you're ready to pull the trigger on one of their big-ass bottles of sunscreen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Thoughts from the Shade. It's episode 14. We've got a lot to unpack. Uh, busy weekend, both on the field and off the field for Bomb. So so let's just first check in with Bomb. And uh, also, have to wish the guy a happy belated birthday. You had a birthday over the weekend. You were busy. Um, so happy birthday, and, and tell us about tell us about the weekend. Uh, thanks, Jay. It was all over God's green earth. The uh, the weekend started early with a couple days off from work. Thursday and Friday, I had PTO. And I had the opportunity to fly down to Nashville for a bachelor party. Wow. That's been a, uh, I feel like that's been a pretty popular destination for, for bachelors and bachelorettes uh, as, as we've gotten to that age. So how was it? Yeah, I mean, obviously been to Nashville before for... Uh, for, for anybody who hasn't been there, I'll just give you my my take on the city, the vibe. First of all, I think when you immediately get down there and head out to the bars and you have that first cold beer and that second cold beer, you think to yourself, man, this place is just amazing. Like, I, I need to come back here with XYZ or this person or that person. And then literally you wake up the next day, you do it again, and you think to yourself, I never want to come back to this freaking town ever again. It is just a, uh, I think you age 10 years in a weekend there. Party never ends, huh? Well, you know, it's it's not only the party. They, they pop you for like a $9 beer. So you order 10 beers and you're signing for like, you know, 95 bucks. Then you're tipping on that. The other thing that, you know, maybe it's just me because I'm a cheap bastard. But, uh, you know, the live music is cool and all. Um, but like people request songs by obviously handing over like 20s, 50s. And, uh, and I find it odd that, like, all right, if you want to request a song, all right, pop out a 20 and go request a song. But, like, you know, the second night we're at Kid Rock's place, and uh, maybe, maybe it was the, uh, the clientele there. But, uh, but the band is basically barking out orders, you know, only 60 more dollars until we play Freebird. Only 20 more dollars until we play Freebird. So people are just, like, throwing cash. Then during intermission, they're running around with their little tip jar. You can never say I don't I don't carry cash on me. They, they all have Venmos, they have this, they have that. But it's like how many freaking times do I need, need to hear you play Freebird? And like that little bit, that little joke that they did, it's a hundred dollars for Freebird. And then meanwhile, someone hands over a hundred, and the guitarist has been like hankering to play this song all night. He just shreds the fucking song. 
Like, don't tell me you weren't prepared. Don't tell me you didn't want to play. You play it every fucking night because it greases your goddamn pockets. They play it for the cash. That's that's interesting. I feel like I don't know if that's like a subbing thing um, with, with the cash for for the songs. Like it's it's like a live jukebox almost. But I feel like down the shore you you, you just go and people are playing and, and maybe there's a tip jar out or someone's got their guitar case open. You, you throw a buck in if you're enjoying it or you buy them a beer when when they're on a break or something like that but it sounds like a lot down there hey nashville i got an idea for you how about a fucking cover no cover no cover but they'll they'll run around with their with their jar and uh, you know maybe maybe i'm the cheap asshole right but you know after the second or third day of hearing the third band talk about how freebird is 100 bucks and they're basically having people throw cash at them to play it you know it gets a little old so it's like a re- repetitive thing across different different acts? Different acts, different bars. It's like a bit that they do down there, and it's, like, not funny. Like, I mean, for all I care, you could plug in freaking Guitar Hero and shred that. Like, that's the same damn thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you could stay at your house and get a case of beer and put your Bose speaker on and pump up the Leonard Skinner and hear the real thing. I, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of with you, but... Maybe we're just we're getting old, we're cheap, but I value the input and uh, glad to see you're back safe now. Speaking of live music, uh, you, you did hear some other live music in, in the city, city of brotherly love this weekend. Why don't you tell us about that? And yeah, nothing oh, like leave. Go, go on. Sorry, one second. Uh, do you want to share? You were out to dinner in Nashville, uh, and, and you were <laughs> starstruck by. Somebody famous and, and an American hero. Do you want to tell us about that at all? Uh, and I got a I got a hell of a bookend to that story. You, people, you guys are gonna freaking lose it. So we're at the bar. We're at a bar called Losers. It's it's uh, one of the only places that could fit twenty idiots from Philadelphia. Losers. So uh, one of the guys on the on the bachelor party comes around with his phone in hand and says, "Look who's in town. If we see this guy, we got to buy him a beer." So. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal the identity of this person quite yet. So anyway, I take note of it. I go, oh, yeah, I know who that is. And uh, so anyway, hours later, we decide to uh, to fulfill our obligation, our reservation at the uh, the local steakhouse. And luckily for the uh, for the folks who uh, you know host at the steakhouse, they put us in kind of a a room, not in the main dining area, because it was you know 20 guys bachelor party. By the way, we had no business being there at this at this stage of the game. Absolutely no business. It's about thirty minutes after after sitting down, who walks in? But but this guy and uh, took me maybe a minute, but I start seeing all the you know the manager of the restaurant, you know the waiter coming over, this and that, and it's none other than uh, than Robert O'Neill, the uh, the guy who put a bullet in Osama bin Laden's face. So. You know, it's clear he's out with four other people. And, you know, you don't want to bother the guy. He's out, out to dinner. But so I asked the server, I'm like, look, is there any way we, we could uh, we could send a round over? You know, I don't want to walk up to the guy while he's eating dinner or drinking or anything, but would love to kind of throw around the drinks on us. And uh, the long and the short of it was, I guess he was out with clients for his business and didn't want to make a big scene for anything and requested that, you know, pretty much everything is pretty quiet and, and no uh, no disruptions during the night. But they said normally he's like, you know, Stand-up guy would 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 drink a beer with somebody. Um, 
And uh, but I thought I thought that was super cool watching this guy just walk in the house of steak and drink a beer. And he's the guy that took down the number one most wanted guy in America. It's incredible, dude. Like, did you get like the like lump in your throat, like butterfly, you know, like this almost the sick feeling when you see like somebody like that famous? Yeah, I'm not the one that like normally gets starstruck with like athletes or anything because all they, you know, all they're doing is playing a sport. But it, you know, particularly with the fact that like 9 11, the 20th anniversary was, was recent. You know, you really ref- reflect on uh, everything that's going on with us pulling out of Afghanistan and everything. And yeah, it, was, it definitely caused you to reflect there for, for a moment. And honestly, I, I told the server, I said, look, um, you know, if he's, uh, if he's a, a frequent flyer here, you know, if you could just share the next time he's in that the, the group of the, uh, the, the 20 guys that were, you know, literally 10 feet away from him the last time he was here. We're from Philadelphia, and I told the story of, uh, I don't know where you were the night Obama came on and said they got Bin Laden, but I was I was in college watching the um, the Phillies-Mets game, and I think it was a Sunday night game, ESPN, so I think it was like the only sporting event that was on at the time, and you just start to see like, you know, the crowd starting to chant, and uh, I forget who was doing the game, but the, the play-by-play guy says, hey, guess what, like, in 15 minutes, ABC News is going to come on. You might want to flip over to that. Yeah, I'll, ne- I'll never forget that. I was, I think I was in college too. I was up at Penn State watching the uh, watching the Phillies as well and remember it exactly the same. And so- something living in this country that, honestly, you'll, you'll never forget where you were when it happened. Um, so really cool and I- honestly kind of jealous that, you came across Mr. O'Neill. That's unbelievable, dude. Well, to finish off the story, there's more. Uh, so I, I, you mentioned I, I got out of Dodge a day early from uh, from Nashville. So I'm up, I'm up at uh, at seven o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and I'm trying to order an Uber. I'm an Uber guy. I'm not a Lyft guy, but I have Lyft as a backup. So Uber, thirty two minutes for an Uber. I said it's not gonna, it's not gonna cut it. I got, I got a flight. I got to get on, get on this flight. I'm riding American. American Airlines. So I flip over to Lyft. So my man uh, picks me up, drops me off. It was 10 miles, uh, about 12 minutes, $41.99 charge to the visa. I don't think anything of it. Nice enough guy. And uh, I get an email. It says, uh, thanks for riding with Osama. What? The guy who drove me to the airport the day after we all had dinner, 10 feet from the guy who shot Bin Laden in the face, that guy's name's Osama. So, you know, had I known... Oh, my God. God. I would have told the the poor fucker, I said, listen, man, O'Neal's in town. You might want to get the fuck out of here. Oh, my God. What a coincidence. That's insane. Yeah, you know, you, you, all you could do when you're, when you're uh, you know, when something like that happens is just, I don't know, shake your head, look up, and just say, wow, what a freaking joke that is. Yeah. What a life. What a life. So you, you Ubered to the airport, flew back to Philly, and, and you caught Eric Church on, on Saturday night, Wells Fargo Center, right? Yeah, after a, after a weekend in Nashville, you always got to go to church. So, uh, yeah, no, um, he uh, he played in Pittsburgh, I think, the night before. And 
think like 12 or 24 hours before that show, the news dropped that his, his band caught COVID. And uh, so we switched it to a solo show. And I, I don't know if there's many artists today that can just pull that off in like a 12 or 24 hour period. I mean, that was, I, I didn't want to say it the night of the concert. I didn't want to say it, you know, the next day, but after sleeping on it, that was the best concert I've ever been to. Hands down. That's great. Yeah, I was when you told me that I was thinking about it. Like, obviously, with everything going on and COVID and and stuff like that, you gotta really commend the guy for winging it on the fly and putting something together and and putting on for the people that are paying their hard-earned money to see him. I mean, I'm not docking people for canceling or moving shows. Obviously, a, a lot going on and everybody's health is of top priority. But but for him to you know call it audible and and keep it going and put on a hell of a show is is great i just don't think there's many there's many contemporary artists that can do that like basically i mean he played for nearly three hours 27 songs wow and he brought in didn't he bring in a a special guest yeah so he's he played a he played uh a, a medley um, infused into his song Mistress Name Music. He played Walking to Memphis, Great Day to Be Alive, Troubadour by G- George Strait, Pink Houses. So he was playing some like non era church music. And then, probably like 18 or 19 songs into the concert, he starts playing Sand in My Boots, um, which I thought was a he was covering. And lo and behold, who walks out of the, uh, out of the locker room about 10 feet behind us is. Uh, Morgan Wallen, he's out of hiding. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like I've seen him getting out a little bit back into the uh, the face of the world, right? Playing some live shows with people, Luke Bryan and Lord Georgia Line and stuff like that. It was it was awesome. I mean, they were they were great together. They they played uh, a couple of Morgan songs, a couple of uh, Church's songs, but man, what a what a freaking night and. Uh, you know, just totally a total juxtaposition of the uh, of the acts down in Nashville. It's like, all right, do I want to hear Freebird or do I want to go hear Eric Church play with his freaking acoustic guitar and just entertain twenty thousand people by himself? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you spent on the tickets, but might might have been less than than what those uh, <laughs> those scrubs in Nashville were looking for. <laughs> but that's great, man! Hell of a birthday weekend, huh? Yeah, it was awesome. Well, good for you. Happy birthday. Uh, I myself attended a concert Thursday night. Um, can't can't say I'm as proud of this one as you might be of Eric Church and, and Wallen, but uh took the old lady to, to Camden to, to see the Jonas Brothers on, on Thursday night. And, you know, they killed it. They put on a good show. And uh, Kelsey, Kelsey Ballerini opened, good good country artist. She's got a couple good 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 songs and she did a little medley of covers of like Taylor Swift and Britney Spears. So that was cool too. Um, but luckily the old lady's friend, her best friend came along and they've been like Jonas Brothers fans their entire lives. So when they played all the throwbacks, they could sing and dance and jump around. And I just kind of stood there drinking my beer, nodding my head, but I like a couple of the new songs. They've, they've done some stuff with uh, Diplo and, and Marshmallow. So I can get down with those songs a little bit and I'm, not afraid to admit it. So 
that, that was cool. It was a beautiful night. It's always nice to uh, see some live music outdoors and, and enjoy the, the fall weather. All of this, but weather's been a little bit weird for, for October. You know, here in the Northeast, I always look forward to fall. It's like the nicest time of year, but it was like hot this weekend playing golf, sweating. So we'll probably just get like a few more weeks of weird weather and then it'll be freezing cold and fall will never have happened, which kind of sucks. But so who's your favorite Joe, bro? I'm a Nick Jonas guy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think he, he got to be. I feel like he, he probably had the most success uh, on the solo act. Um, but I like those songs. Levels is a good song. Jealous. Um, Joe Jonas did some of his stuff when he was with that group DNCE, that Cake by the Ocean song. That's a good little jam. So, you know, I got to say, this, those guys rocked it. And I got down with it. I had a good time. And there was plenty of guys in there. So, you know, if, if pop music is your guilty pleasure like me, nothing to be afraid of saying it. So, What was the, uh, what was the mask situation there? Outdoors, what was the deal? uh recommended but I, I didn't see see many masks so that was encouraging i mean outdoor situation but i think they're a little more strict in, in jersey these days than they are in in uh in pa yeah except for philly philly's got a mask mandate uh indoors so um that was kind of funny watching how that played out everybody strapped their mask on heading into wells fargo and then immediately took it off yeah, and how, how are they enforcing that? Because obviously with hockey and basketball season looming, you want to go catch a game. Like with the Eagles and Phillies, it's outside. They, they don't really – there's not really a mandate. But how, were they enforcing it in Wells Fargo? I didn't see them enforcing any of it, right? And part of it is I think like everybody had a drink in their hand. So, you know, you're actively drinking. What are you going to do? But even even those who didn't, I, <laughs> I think – that's the type of crowd that just doesn't give a shit. And, uh, and I'll be interested to see the, uh, you know, the mix of masking versus non-masking of Flyers games versus Sixers games. We could be looking at a very different crowd, folks. Yeah, it'll be interesting, but it'll be good to see all the fans back regardless. I'll um, tell you one guy who needs to wear a mask when he comes into Philadelphia, if the reports are true. Bum Simmons. Bum ass Simmons. Put a mask on. Put a mask on. Just just don't even come. Um, yeah, I, I got I got a number of texts uh, today, Monday, uh, as this report came out that the people needed to hear from Bomb on this. Um, but uh, Woj tweeted out earlier today, Monday, um, Sixers officials and Clutch CEO Rich Paul have progressed in talks over recent days on a resolution to bring all-star Ben Simmons back to Philadelphia in the near future. Discussions are ongoing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not thrilled to talk about this. I, I'm honestly exhausted with the guy, with the situation. The only thing that I'll say is, is that, like, I just don't understand how you, you can't, be a, a star athlete in Philadelphia and not be loved. Like, all you have to do is come here, play hard, act like you care, you know, yuck it up with the fans a little bit, and you don't have to win. I mean, Christ, every every Philly team retires numbers of guys that, that never won anything. <laughs> and everybody adores these guys because they cared and they tried hard 
And granted, they, they didn't win in the end. You know, everybody still loves them, but this guy can't get out of his own way. Um, Baby Ben has been told he's the greatest thing ever since he was eight years old. And this saga goes on, but but I don't really give two shits. I don't want to see the guy play. I think the Sixers will be better without him with uh, a normal point guard like Milton or, or Maxie and, and see what those guys have and, and how, how they mesh. Uh, that that type of system would mesh instead of having Big Ben, Big Baby Ben out there just taking up space and being useless. But with the report coming out Monday, Bomb, why don't you lay it on us? Well, I guess Ben Simmons figured out pretty quickly that a $17.5 million jumbo mortgage doesn't pay, pay itself, huh? In California as well. I wonder what those property taxes are. I guess Rich Paul didn't think that through. Now, as soon as they cut the pay, he comes crawling back, right? I mean, how can this guy face his teammates in the locker room? I mean, he, he basically he went from blaming the fans to blaming the coach who said, I don't know if I think I can win a championship with this guy, to then blaming the style of play and the fact that Embiid is a star and he needs to be a star on his own team. He's like the only star in the NBA now who doesn't want a super team. Ben Simmons can shoulder the load himself. This guy's a fraud. If he came back, I'd suspend him again without pay, conduct detrimental to the team, based on all the bullshit him and his agent have put out there. I wouldn't let this guy go go into the facility. It would be like if an employee was canned and their fucking key card doesn't work the next day. That's how I'd treat this bum. I completely agree. I think I think you have to. Um, I I, I kind of think, and I don't know at all, but I kind of think obviously this. This has to happen in order for them to try to trade him. It's a James Harden situation where he just shows up fat and they trade him in the Nets. But could you imagine if he actually suited up and, and played a game in, in Wells Fargo Center this year? You can't. No. You can't. You know what this is going to be? Let me tell you what this is. Let me tell you how this is going to get down. He's going to come back. And the Sixers and their uh, uh, Bozo fans and Bozo front office and Bozo coach Here's, here's what's going to happen. Ben Simmons will come back, and he might practice for a day. He might practice for a week. He might practice for two weeks to make it look good. And then all of a sudden, he'll come up lame with a soft tissue injury, something like a hamstring that's not easily verifiable on X-ray or MRI. I think this guy is scared to play in front of the fans. I think he's going to do everything he can to make sure his paycheck isn't interrupted, but he still doesn't still doesn't fulfill his contractual obligations. So I think you'll be seeing a a fake process type injury uh, very soon if this guy reports. Yeah, we'll we'll wait and see. But like I said, I'm I, I'm tired of it and just want it to be over and ha- have him gone and let the let the people that want to be there move forward because I think. Go ahead. Do you remember in the um, the Jordan documentary? Didn't he yeah, beat the I, I shit out it. of like say that again? I watched it. Yeah. Didn't he beat the shit out of somebody on his team, like Steve Kerr or somebody? I I don't know that he physically beat the shit out of him, but I think he verbally abused the shit out of some of his teammates, and Steve Kerr was one of them. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're like the ten or eleven or however many players they have on the Sixers, twelve, whatever it is, like. I'd beat the shit out of this guy. There'd be elbows thrown. There'd be punches thrown in practice. 
Um, the guy basically blames everyone but himself when he was the key reason why they lost that game last year, lost the series. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because I think Thibel went on J.J. Reddick's podcast and, you know, took the blame for that game, saying how he fouled that guy. I think it was that redheaded dude on the Hawks was attempting a three and Thibel fouled him and he was made the three free throws. But, I mean, obviously Jordan had the credentials to do that. He was the best player in the world, one of the best of all time, if not the best of all time. But, I mean, what, what does it say about Embiid? If he can't lay it down, he's their best player. He, he's a veteran now. I mean, he was there first. Like, and I understand a few weeks ago, Embiid kind of went back at Ben and said that you know Ben was the reason they didn't re-sign Jimmy, and the reason that this all went down the way it did. Um, but like, this should this should have been addressed way before you know it got to the point that it is now. Well, this is another. This is an indictment of the fans. This is an indictment of the processors. This is an indictment of the the new age Philadelphia fan who 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 doesn't focus on results. They focus on picks. They focus on uh, guys who are active on social media. They, this is this is Carson Wentz 2.0. They give the guy the bag a year early, and he quits on the team. Why why is it that our franchises? Find these guys who are who are no 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 better than criminals and thieves. That, that's what that's what this is akin to. Criminals and thieves. They sign paperwork, they accept the direct deposit, and they turn around and they say, "I don't want to play here anymore." Yeah, well, they're guys that come from places where you know your your typical NBA player, your typical NFL player, aren't coming from. They've been told they're they're the best their entire lives, and as soon as adversity hits it's it's an auto shutdown of the system so we got got something if if it's style of play right if you if you buy into the ben simmons thesis that he can't coexist uh, with Embiid, right because Embiid, you know is the post game um and he can't win with that style why is it that when he was in college in the sec which by the way has one team in hoops right one one freaking team they can talk he couldn't even get to the tournament. Yeah, you would think you would think in the SEC as you know, baby Brown, the next LeBron James, you could at least just get your team to the the big dance. Number one pick. I mean, it wasn't like this guy was playing for uh, you know Belmont, right? Like the the NCAA would love to have a team like LSU in there. You got a big fan base. You got people that are going to spend money. You got a star. He couldn't even get them on the bubble for a pick. Now. It ain't good. He's no good. He, he stinks. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Either that injury is going to happen. He does that fake. He'll do some fake thing where an ankle gets rolled or a hamstring gets strained or a, or a quad gets strained or so, something that isn't easily verifiable, the severity of it. Or he'll come back and what do you see? It'll be a quick, it'll be a very quick uh, forgive forgiveness from these these processors, they'll be, you know, they'll, they'll be giving them a standing up. Welcome back, Ben. We love you, Ben. This and that. It's disgusting. It's it. Frankly, you should have your fandom revoked if if you support this guy at all. If you so much as buy a ticket with this guy suited up in uniform, you should have your fandom revoked because you don't have 
the best interest of the organization at heart. Bingo. And, and you know that that's a possibility too, right? That he suits up, he drops one triple-double, and everybody will forget. We'll forget the offseason, and they'll oh. be, be back. The guy, the guy at the preseason game with the number 25 with the Simmons cut out on the back, he'll, he'll probably go into his bedroom where he's got it posted up like a locker, and he'll put it right back on his shirt, and he'll be right 100%. back in Wells Fargo. Some you know, asshole in South Philly is going to get a mural of Ben Duncan in his first game back with the smoke nose emoji. Like, cut me a break. Like, this guy is so fake tough with that emoji and all the toughness and all that crap. The guy had one point in the playoff game against Boston. He refused to dunk against Trey Young in the in this Hawks series. This guy is a baby. Facts. That's it. I'm done. Are you done? Are we done with this guy talking about him today? I've been done with this guy. All right. Uh, no, you know, you know what? I'm not done. You know who I'm not done with? These ESPN reporters, you know, these NBA reporters. These guys are not journalists, okay? What they do is they take the information from the agent and they feed that narrative right out into the public as if it's fact. Like for that, for that Wojnowski to write, oh, they're coming closer to returning and this and that and mending the relationship. Who do you think that's coming from? It ain't coming from the Sixers. No, it's coming from the agent trying to make it look like he's trying to smooth it over, right, so he can get traded and actually play basketball this year and get paid. 100%. Yeah. But I, th- I think that's enough Simmons talk for me. You got anything else on, on that guy? No, the only thing I'll say is if he does report, um, and let's say he decides to fulfill his obligations and doesn't fake an injury, this, that, or the other, I have no idea how the NBA works in terms of roster management. But uh, let's say he was a Philadelphia Philly with options. He'd be playing in Reading. He'd be playing in Lehigh Valley. The the 87ers, wherever they are, are they in Delaware? They're in Wilmington? Where the hell are they? Newark? Down at the University of Delaware? Yeah, it's somewhere in Delaware, he, I believe. He'd be suiting up for them. That that would be the ultimate. That 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 would be the best best case scenario if that if that happens. The what is it? The G League? The D League? G League? He can go dominate and be the face of the G League. Would he even dominate down there? All right, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, what a shit show. Um, only in Philly. Only in Philly. That's right. But I guess we'll move on to to another shit show. I have, believe it or not, I have recovered. Um, but let's get to what transpired in Iowa City on Saturday. The Iowa Hawkeyes beat Penn State 23-20 at Kinnick. Um, it was – I'm still speechless. I you know, I, I try not to get sucked in every year, but I got sucked in in, you know, the first, second quarter when Clifford throws two picks and we're still beating the brakes off this team and moving the ball down the field. We're up 17-3. I think it was 17-10 when he went out. But, you know, you heard all week about the Iowa defense and how great it is and what a challenge it's going to be. Well, we had two turnovers and we were up by two scores moving the ball at will. And obviously Clifford goes down the second quarter. Penn State scores three points the rest of the game. Uh, you know, can't sustain any drives. The defense gets worn out. And 
Iowa makes one big play, that throw to the tight end that, that puts them up at the end, and Penn State fell apart when Clifford went out. Uh, Taquan Roberson, I believe he's a redshirt sophomore. He came in, Jersey kid, um, you know, couldn't even get the ball snapped. And, and I don't know if that's all on him, but, you know, the O-line was clearly shook by the fact that Clifford was out. Um, number of false start penalties, I mean, in a row, in certain sequences like they didn't even run an actual play it was just false start false start false start it was really pathetic so and the other interesting note uh someone shared with me on saturday pass attempts past the line of scrimmage for roberson on saturday two for 16 there were opportunities oh that that just mean that just means he's going to be like the the next uh star quarterback for nick sirianni's offense (laughs) Yeah, seriously. We'll get to that a little later. But, yeah, Roberson came in, struggled, and, you know, the defense, I can't blame the Penn State defense whatsoever. They gave it all they had. They were on the field the entire second half. Um, And, obviously, the offense couldn't get it done. There were throws to be had. There were guys open, and Roberson didn't hit them. Uh, Too many penalties, obviously, in the second half. Couldn't deal with the noise. And they took the L. But, you know what, I've, I've come to peace with it. Um, I think in the grand scheme of the season, and a lot of people have mentioned this, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm the only guy thinking this, but this, this game doesn't matter, right? I was in the West, Penn State's in the East, the road to the Big Ten Championship game goes through Columbus, and, you know, whatever happens with Clifford and, and, and P.J. Must first starting D-tackle, he went down in the first quarter. Um, obviously, it depends on, on the health of the team, but... It still goes through Columbus. It's still all in front of them. Uh, obviously not going to be able to get it done without without Clifford. I think that's apparent after we saw two quarters of Roberson, but I'll just leave it at that. It's, uh, it stinks. I mean, that's, that's hurts, just spoken like, over. A, that's spoken like a true Penn State honk. The reason why you can't say that is this game was an indicator. This game was an indicator of the depth of the coaching staff's ability to pivot, of an indicate in, indicative of – the run game. So this kid, this kid comes in, right? The kid, the backup for Penn State. He comes in, Roberson. He goes seven for twenty-one. The leading rusher for Penn State on Saturday was Sean Clifford. He had thirty-six yards. Lee went ten for thirty. Roberson went ten for twenty-seven. Noah Kane, eight for fifteen. Why can't they run the football? What? What? Penn State, I mean, you should have the biggest offensive line. You should be pushing these corn-fed uh, flyover state Hawkeyes all over the field. I don't know. I mean, I've said it to people watching the games this year. I think that the offensive line has done a nice job in the passing game, protection-wise. Uh, but for some reason, they, they don't get any push in the run game. And it's been that way the entire tenure of, of Franklin. And it, there's been multiple O-line coaches and – you know, you hear every August about, oh, this is going to be the new and improved line. They got a new coordinator. They got guys that have played a lot of games coming back. But there's just no nastiness. There's no grit. There's no willingness to just, you know, pancake somebody. Um, and I don't know what it is. I, 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 it's got to be a coaching thing, right? But Well, we're, we're recruiting. Are they recruiting a, a different style guy? Like, you need a mauler. You need a big – a big guard is just going to maul people. They don't, they don't have that. They got guys that look like, uh, 
I don't know. They, they they look skinny enough that they could be on the fucking volleyball team. Yeah, a lot of their guys are undersized through the years on the line, and no, they they're just not they're not physical. They're not. But how does that happen? I don't if, know. If you're Penn State, how do you have an undersized line? It's that's the million dollar question. I mean, I think I understand that, if you're Minnesota, right, or you're sure. Maryland's right. Oh, we we can't. You're Penn State. Yeah, I mean, if I had the answer, I, I'd give it to you. But I see the same thing. I ask the same question, and I don't. I don't know why. It it must be a stylistic thing, because they they've always ran a similar type of offense under Franklin in terms of majority being out of the shotgun, a lot of that like read option RPO stuff. Um, so so maybe they try to recruit like more athletic linemen, but that's obviously not getting it done. And you're right in terms of not having Roberson prepared, um, not preparing him and the offense to deal with the crowd noise without Clifford and not being able to go into the locker room for 20 minutes at halftime and assemble some sort of game plan that allows you to move the ball down the field. That, that is, uh, that is on the coach that is on Franklin. That is on your as nice of a job as your has done uh, as the offensive coordinator this year. It's on him. And I said it after the game, you know, it's shame on Franklin for, for not being prepared for, for this moment because you're playing Division One big-time football. You need to have more than one guy ready to go at, at every position. Obviously, it hurts the most to quarterback, but I'm, I'm not trying to shit on Roberson. It was a tough environment to come into, a tough situation, but that kid doesn't even look like he should be playing Division One football. <laughs> well, you know, First of all, I totally agree, right? The coaching staff, I don't think James Franklin is a good in-game coach. We've talked about that before. I just don't think he can make an adjustment. I mean, that's a fact. But yeah. He, 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 his wins, when you look up at his record at the end of every year, you can't say that he out-schemed anybody or out-coached anybody. He just out-recruited somebody the year before. That's it. And to go back to the O-line for a second, right, if he's recruiting these athletic guys, maybe, you know, uh, leaner guys and not recruiting the hogs, right? Well, then wouldn't a game like this be perfect to run some option with your quarterback or run some misdirection or counterplays? Maybe get the guards pulling, maybe get get your O-line moving in a different direction and just start knocking off some of these linebackers that are fl- flying downhill. They, they didn't do any of that. No, no. And even, even when they try to do stuff like that, and they've had a little bit of success with those wide receiver screens this year, like the bubble screens, but the ones where they get the O-line involved, like these offensive linemen get out in space and they don't hit anybody. Like, I don't care if you hit the wrong guy, just find the guy that's in black and yellow and just hit him. I don't care if he was your guy or not. We don't, we don't hit anybody. Just hit someone. Well, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to start pointing the finger back at the alumni. Why is it guys like you aren't holding James Franklin accountable to recruiting a, uh, a an offensive lineman? I mean, I, I haven't been to a game in a, in a long time. I'm not I'm not paying my cash to go up there. I was I was starting to think about it. I was I was starting to think about it. <laughs> I was starting to think about Michigan. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, we should it shouldn't be 107k strong when you know the man at the helm continues to, to fail in the big moments. Can we talk a bit about your reaction video? Yeah, I guess the, the only other thing I was going to say, um, 
was it sad? It, it's sad for me because, like I said earlier, like I try not to get roped in, but naturally you do every year. And when, <laughs> and when, when we were up 17-3 early in that game and moving it at will and the defense was playing well, I, I sat there and thought to myself, like, is this is this finally our year? And and obviously not to win the Natty, but to to win the Big Ten and actually make the playoff this time. <laughs> and uh, you know that obviously didn't last very long. But yeah, what do you have to say about my live or uh, my instant reaction? Well, I, I noticed the uh, first of all the video was like from point blank range. I love that we were up close and personal. Um, but you know where was that filmed? I didn't see like the thoughts from the shade logo in the background. Look like a chef. I mean, were you in the bathroom, like, crying after the game? What was wrong? It's exactly what it was. I meant to include it in the caption. Um, we'll have to work with, with you know, the social media team and, and the PR team, maybe get a little little better setup next time. But, yeah, it was was from the bathroom. Um, you know, I just had to go in there and let it out after, uh, after the field storm, which obviously I mentioned in the video. But, I mean, what a disgrace. And, and – Obviously, I'm, I'm the biased guy on, on this topic. You're not. I mean, what did you make of the field storm? Is that is that not an absolute disgrace? Uh, I, I can't say. I can't say it's an absolute disgrace. I, I'll say this. In normal seasons, that's a disgrace. The reason why I'm going to give them a pass is because of the COVID year. I just feel like fans haven't been at games. You see a big game. Your team wins. You think you're going to win the Big Ten. All right, rush the field. Who gives a shit? I think it was more more of that than, oh, we just knocked off Penn State. We're, you know, they're ranked more highly than us, this and that. Like, I get your point on, like, the favorite and, like, being more highly ranked. But I think it has more to do with fans just not being at a game in a while. So would you would you have commended a, a field storm when Penn State beat Auburn? Uh, I can't say that I would because – it wasn't like a 3-4. It wasn't like a 1-2 matchup. It wasn't Penn State like what, like 8 or 10 or something? And Auburn yeah, it was like 20. 10 versus 22 or something. Yeah, and it wasn't like a, a conference like rival, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, All right. You know, hat, I would say if – who did they have, Michigan? Penn State's got Michigan? We got Michigan, at, November 13th. At home? Yep. If Michigan's undefeated and Penn State still has one loss when that, when that game happens – Storm the freaking field. All right. You got it. Um, anything else in the actual game? No, I, it was sloppy. That's the only thing. It was, it was sloppy. And, and, and even with that 17-3 lead, like they gave the ball away twice. The, the play calling down near the goal line at the beginning of the game was pathetic. Um, and I remember sitting there, you know, talking with others who were watching the game. And all, all you needed to see was like, all right, the turn, this turnover, that turnover, the ball I got thrown to Brisker was a turnover from Iowa's QB. Terrible throw. Both of these teams fucking stink. Like, let's just say that. Like, neither one of these teams are going anywhere. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but in order for Penn State to, to get anywhere the rest of the year, it's clear that they're going to need Sean Clifford back uh, under center. And being uh, – the great analyzer of Instagram that you are, uh, Sean Clifford posted Monday uh, a picture of himself, obviously in his Penn State uniform, with the caption reading, In life, moments will come and go. Trials will come and go. 
It's the memories with the people around you that live forever. Time to create more memories. Bomb. Is he coming back? What do you, what do you make of this? Do we have any idea what the hashtag means? Hashtag BTB. I don't know what that means. Boys totally blow his teammates. <laughs> um, like if if you were a Penn State fan or even not as a Penn State fan, are you taking that as a as a positive, as a negative? You're not sure. Does it clear anything up on, on his status coming back to play quarterback for Penn State this season? Whew. Comments are turned off, right? Um you can't look at that. You can't look at that post in a vacuum. He's got other posts here where comments are turned off. He's got the time to create more memories, followed by double cross sword, followed by some sort of a chess piece. A pawn? Is that a pawn? Does he even know it's a pawn? It's like swords and like a pawn. So maybe he's playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers. Yeah, and you can't just look at the post. He also had a story today, and he's pumping his uh, quarterback training iPhone app. So the guy is still uh, trying to make some cash with name, image, and likeness. Um, $15 a month. You, listeners to Thoughts in the Shade, can receive exclusive football training and instruction from Sean Clifford and his brother. Um, I'm not sure if there is an interactive feature to this application you might be able to message them i say before the end of this podcast g you need to subscribe to the app you need to send a message invite them on the pod and ask them the question what's going on yeah we need to know and i feel like in college they they keep it under wraps pretty good especially bye week this week so they don't need to give any status obviously for that and then penn state has illinois um the following Saturday. And I, I would hope that they can win that game without Clifford and let him rest. Um, but, you know, I've, I've poked around, talked to some folks uh, regarding the status of Clifford uh, as well as Mustafer. And the guy I trust the most on this stuff, he's pretty plugged in. He's not famous. He's not an insider. I asked him to come on the show tonight. Uh, to share this information with us. He said he's not ready for the bright lights yet, um, but we'll have him on eventually. He says, um, can never really trust the sources. Um, so he's, this isn't 100%, but he said, Clifford's issue is ribs. He wants to play against Illinois, but likely they will hold him out and he comes back for Ohio State. That's best case, in my opinion. Uh, as far as Mustafer goes, Something in his knee apparently could tough it out the rest of the year and have surgery after the season, but not sure how effective he'll be. And also John Lovett, uh, one of the running backs, obviously Penn State rotates running backs a lot, um, but I, I kind of like the way he was running early in the year. Transfer from Baylor, John Lovett, apparently has a tear in the MCL, may be done for the year. And that's kind of concerning too, because I've said this to people, Noah Kane doesn't look right. Obviously he's off the torn ACL. In 2020, he still doesn't look right. He's not – just doesn't have that pop. You know, he's not running anybody over. He, he was never the most elusive back um, his freshman year, but he was grinding people away, running them over, and 
hitting the hole hard. I feel like he's just got no no pop this year. So who knows? Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. Their running game's pathetic. I mean, can we talk about that for a second? You got Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders who both get picked in the first two rounds of the draft, and you can't run the football. You don't have a running back that wants to come here. Like, come on, man. This is bad. I mean, you got that kid that's going to be out. He's done. Kane looks awful. Um, you got Clifford that is good. Sit him down. Don't even play him against Illinois. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you play him either, unless you really have no faith that Roberson can beat Illinois. But I, I'd put that kid Warren back there, that uh, backup tight end that does the wildcat. I'd put him back there. He played quarterback <laughs> in high school. He might be able to just run wildcat all day and may, maybe make a pass or two off of it, like Tebow or something. Yeah, and you know Penn State, they have about 50 plays off of that one formation, especially in fourth fourth and seven type situations, fourth and goal. Um, I think they can run an entire offense. See how it unfolds. But, yeah, it was a tough loss. Grand scheme of things doesn't change a lot. What did Franklin say after the game? Was there any, any blame on uh... – you know the guys missing class this week, or or a backup quarterback not being elite. What what was the uh, what was the blame game today, or I should say this past weekend? It's funny you bring that up because uh, I didn't see the the full presser. It, it kind of looked like he just you know stood stood in front of a, a small media scrum in Kinnick after the game. But the one one thing I did see that uh, numerous people noted was how he was unhappy with the Iowa coaching staff and fan base for booing the Penn State players, uh, defensive players that, that were getting hurt throughout the game, uh, specifically, I guess, as Iowa was driving. Um, there, there's a clip of one of the Iowa assistants, and he, and he does like a mock like flail of like one, what one of the Penn State defenders did. Like he just you know fell without being hit apparently or something, but – that that was Franklin's uh, gripe with that game, I believe. Yeah, yeah, nothing like looking over into the into the uh, opposing sidelines and into the into the stands and watching the reactions of those guys while your guys get down, and uh, and your backup quarterback sits there on the bench with no clue how to get an offense going. Huh? Interesting. Yeah, paying a little bit too too much attention to that stuff, I guess, but. I think that's all I got on the Nets. We'll uh, they'll regroup over the bye week, and then they'll they'll, they'll play the Fighting Illini at home uh, the following Saturday, and we'll we'll go from there. Anything else on uh, Penn State or, or, or the college front? I know we've been going going a little while here. Obviously, worth mentioning that Alabama went down outright to to A and M, and they're down to fifth in the country. Georgia's up to number one. Iowa two. Cincy three. Oklahoma jumps back up to four after that crazy game. Uh, Bama's five, Ohio State six, Penn State seven. Yeah, wild week. I mean, obviously we we did extremely poorly. I knew the minute our, our picks lined on uh, for Saturday that we were screwed. That that Texas game. I mean, what what was Sarkeesian drinking at halftime? Must have been something because it was. It was a world different than the first half. I, you know, it was 28-7 early in the game, looking like a blowout, and then got the 28-14. And I, I, I said to the guy I was watching with, I was like, you know, as as bad as this looks for Oklahoma, the, these games are nuts. You know, these Red River games. Um, 
sure enough, they came back. And also, I would like to call out ESPN and anyone else in the broadcasting world. Um, you know, I, I came on here and um, risked my reputation by trying to say Red River rivalry last week. And all the coverage I'm seeing on Saturday, now it's the Red River showdown. So it's just a cop-out for all these these commentators um, to, to not have to try to say that. Yeah, what is that? Since when is that? like? It's, it's always been the rivalry. It's always been the Red River rivalry. It's too tough to say, but, you know, we, we, we come on and, and say it. It is what it is. But, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look forward to, uh, I guess we're up to week seven in college this week. We'll, uh, we'll check out the board, give some picks later in the week on Fade the Shade. Um, but let's change, change gears uh, quickly. Talk about the Philadelphia Flyers and the NHL. The NHL starts uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, October 12th. Uh, NHL coverage is back on ESPN and is on TNT, uh, Turner Sports, for the first time ever. Be interesting to see how that goes. I was always a big fan of, of NBC and, and Doc Emmerich. Obviously, he retired before last season, so it wasn't the same there. And, and they kind of just kind of sold it out uh, last season. So be interesting to see see the new broadcast and see some uh, some familiar faces. And ESPN giving a little more love to the NHL than usual. Um, but let's talk about the Flyers. I mean, they, they kick off the season Friday uh, at home against the Vancouver Canucks. Um, busy offseason for Chuck Fletcher. Uh, Elaine Vigneault back as head coach. Uh, obviously, the, the priority for the organization this summer was to reshape the roster in an effort to reduce goals against. The Flyers uh, were atrocious last year defensively. You can remember some of those games against the New York Rangers, giving up 10 goals and nine goals and, and goals on goals. Um, obviously, Carter Hart, worst goalie in hockey last year, going to need a big bounce back year from him. Um, they also brought in Martin Jones to be his backup uh, as Brian Elliott went to Tampa Bay. Martin Jones was also a horrible goalie last year for the San Jose Sharks. Um, so going to need those guys to, to definitely elevate their games. Um and then we'll just go through the additions. Uh, Ryan Ellis, defenseman from Nashville, he's going to play with Proveroff. Uh, that should form a really nice top pair, honestly. Uh, Ellis is a really good player. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen comes in with uh, from the Buffalo Sabres. He'll play with Sanheim. Um, Flyers traded for Cam Atkinson from the Blue Jackets, uh, straight up for Jake Voracek. So Jake is gone. Uh, Derek Broussard was brought in. He'll be playing some center to start the year. Uh, Nate Thompson's back. He was on the team that played in the playoff bubble um, two summers ago. Uh, Keith Yandel was brought in. He'll be a piece on defense and, and probably run the power play. A uh, good buddy of Kevin Hayes. Uh, we'll, we'll run through the subtractions. Phil Myers is gone to Nashville. Noel Patrick's in Vegas. Robert Haig went to Buffalo. We mentioned Jake Voracek back to Columbus where he started his career. Uh, Shane Gossespear to Arizona. And Brian Elliott to Tampa Bay to back up Vasilevsky uh, for the defending Stanley Cup champs. Um, Fires have had a little bit of uh, misfortune with the injury bug to start the year. Kevin Hayes out probably another month or so uh, with, with an abdominal injury. And then Wade Allison, younger guy, prospect, came up and played some NHL games last year, was, was looking to probably be a third-line 
winger and, and contributes on there. Good physical guy, has a good shot. Um, I think he's got a high ankle sprain, and I don't think he's going surgery, but they said he's going to miss a, a pretty good chunk of time. Um, so that, that's kind of kind of it in a nutshell. Um, and the Flyers will prep this week for for Friday night against Vancouver, I guess. Bomb. What do you what do you expect for the season? Um, I think uh, we'll we'll do we'll do playoffs or not because this team hasn't won the Stanley Cup since '75. We we don't have to go there, but we'll do expectations. And uh, are they going to the playoffs? Um, you know, you know me. I'm not a uh, a, a diehard Flyers fan. Um, <clears throat> I think this season comes down to two things. Uh, the first thing is the goaltender. You know, I think last year, obviously, with the changes that they made in front of him, the team thinks it wasn't all him, right? But you got to hope that this guy is not the, the next long list of, of top-tier, highly regarded prospects that, that flails in Philadelphia. I don't think he's that guy. Obviously, he's been a winner, juniors and, and everything else for the national team, and um and he played well when he first came up and, and really showed, I think, a lot of grit. So I, I think he has a bounce back year. I think the defense improves. The, the biggest change for me is, uh, is I, think, I think the change that they made with, uh, with that swap of uh, Atkinson and Voracek. Voracek, for me, I just never really liked his game. It just, you, see, you obviously pump, stuff the stat sheet, pump the assists in. Um, but like for whatever reason, any time I flipped on a game, it seemed like he was careening out of control into the end board with his one hand on the stick and the puck getting poke checked by somebody else. So I, I like this Atkinson guy from what I've seen when he was with the uh, with the Blue Jackets, and uh, and hopefully he can bring a little bit of a different element than than Voracek. So I think they make the playoffs. I think they're going to be a solid team. In fact, I'll go so far as to say before they've even dropped a puck. Bomb was scoping out partial season tickets. Wow, bombs in, bombs in on the flyers. Yeah, I had my, uh, I had partial tickets for a few years. I think the last year was seventeen, eighteen, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Obviously, gonna need Carter Hart to to play much better. Um, I think I think it might have been a little bit of a blessing in disguise if he does play well this year that he played like shit last year. Um, because it probably saved the Flyers a lot of money uh, on the cap, and they're up against it with with the number of deals that they've got. Um, and yeah, definitely Atkinson for Voracek. I mean, I loved Jake. I loved his his off ice commentary. Certainly a character, um, but he was kind of like a you know a stat sheet stuffer, and wasn't a great two way player. I think Atkinson is is one of the best two way players in hockey. Will we'll definitely help improve the penalty kill. Uh, I think he's he's top three or top five in shorthanded goals uh, in the NHL in the last few years, and so that that'll definitely help because the Flyers need to play better defense, goal ten better, uh, and improve on the penalty kill. And then you know as far as on on the offensive side, they're going to need guys to bounce back um, that had tough years last year. You look at Travis Konechny, uh, he was an All Star, led the team in scoring goals uh, the year that the season was shortened due to COVID, and then they went to the bubble. He was an all-star there. He had a tough year last year. Obviously, Oscar Lindblom um, with the cancer diagnosis and coming back from that and trying to build his strength back up. But he was the leading goal scorer for the team at the time of his diagnosis. You look for him to bounce back this year. 
heard nothing but good things for him. Um, another guy I'm looking at to, to have a huge year, um, who actually was one of the bright spots on the th- team last year is Joel Farabee. Uh, I think this kid's a stud. Looking for him to, to have a big year. So it really is up to the young kids, um, you know, that, that are going to be the future of this team uh, with, you know, Claude Giroux being 33 or 34, whatever he is. Van Riemsdyk is getting up there. I mean, Hayes is probably 29, 30. So you, you got to look at, at this next wave of kids um, to, to take a step and consistently um, provide uh, in order for this team to have success. But I, it's hard to say, you know, but, I'll go on the cadence that the Flyers have made the playoffs every other year since 2010 or 2012, something like that. And this is a playoff year uh, on that, in that regard. Um, but but I think with the reshuffle defense and uh, you know a new mix of, of veterans uh, and it's, and some improvement from the young guys, uh, particularly Carter Hart, um, obviously the biggest need there. I think the Flyers will make the playoffs. Um, despite being in, in a very tough metropolitan division. You know what this team kind of reminds me of is the, uh, like the 05 and 06 Phillies, where they have a lot of young guys that you, you think are going to be solid. Um, and, and like the Voracek thing, like he reminds me almost of like an Abreu. And I just don't know if the Flyers have brought in like an Aaron Rowan type, a guy that's, you know, won something and can provide some leadership, uh, a little bit of a, you know, two-way player who can defend and 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 uh, hit the ball out of the ballpark and in hockey's case, you know, put the puck in the back of the net. So I, it just doesn't feel like they have that guy, if, if you follow. Yeah, I think I think Ellis should provide some of that. I mean, granted, he didn't win the Stanley Cup. As a defenseman? Cup. Yeah, he, he's he's a he's a good two-way player. He'll play on the second power play probably. He's going to play on the top pair. Um, one thing that the Flyers certainly struggled a lot with, um, specifically with, say, Ghost uh, or Myers and those guys, was getting shots through from the point. And I think that is definitely a strength of Ryan Ellis. Um, because oh, well, all of Delco is going to love this guy then. Yeah, yeah, shoot. Absolutely. But, yeah, you you got to get pucks through for, for tips, rebounds. Um you can't just be be blasting it wide and, and out of the zone. But no, I think I think a lot of people have also talked about Ellis um, kind of as a comparison to how Niskanen impacted the team when he came from Washington two years ago and, and kind of steadied the defense. Um, personally, I think Ellis is a much better player than Matt Niskanen was, um, you know, at the end of his career. So we're looking there. Uh, I think Atkinson can definitely score too, and and he brings that that two way game. Um, obviously you have Sean Couturier. He just signed a massive ticket. Uh, he'll be around for, I believe, seven or eight more years after this season till, till 2030. Um, but he, he's a premier two-way center. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. They need that, like, Jeff Carter or Mike Richards when they were with the Kings. Like, when the Kings were making their run, like, those guys went to the cup finals with the Flyers, right? And then they're, like, not – they're like not the lead act in LA. They're the supporting cast. Like I just don't feel like they have that yet. Yeah, well, they don't. I feel like they don't have the the lead cast either. I mean, Claude, Claude Giroux <laughs> was on the 2010 team that went to the final, but that's it. Otherwise, they've they've won what one or two playoff rounds in the last 10, 11 years, and not a, not a ton of guys on, on this this year's team have been around for any of that. Um, 
So it, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, we definitely we we don't have that. Obviously, you, you look at Giroux at his age, and, and he would be like that guy, like a Richards or Carter going to LA. Like if he went to a true contender, he he could be a piece on a second or third line. But here he's on, he's on the first line. So we need. I think they're really counting on, on the young kids that they kept around after kind of the retool. They're really counting on those guys to to pick it up this year. Anything else on uh, on the ice, Bob? No, I'm excited, man. I mean, you know, I, it's the first year in a while where I've been excited to, to watch some, some Flyers hockey and uh, thinking about pulling the trigger on the partial plan. We'll see. And uh, honestly, the thing that got me pumped was was heading into the Wells Fargo on Saturday night to watch the concert and I looked up at the two and maybe this is just the, you know, like the case of like Stockholm syndrome or something, but I'm in the, I'm in the arena and I look up at the logo and I said, huh, flyers, that'd be fun to get tickets to them. But I think it was partially influenced by the fact that their logo was right next to that disgrace of a logo that they share the building with at the center, that big 76. And I thought about all the bozos stomping their feet and clapping their hands and singing their songs and this, that, and the other. And I said, huh, the Flyers look pretty good. So we'll see to be determined, to be determined. Maybe we, maybe we do some live shows in the middle of the game at the center. I'd be in. I love watching hockey. I feel like, I feel like for, for most typical Philadelphia fans, the Flyers kind of fall, fall forth in line, but going down to watch hockey live, I feel like there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. It's quick. You, you can see pretty much see everything. Um, you know, I personally always prefer my football on TV. Um, you know, b- basketball is not my favorite. And, and, you know, the game of baseball is, is slow. It's nice to go sit there, eat a dog, and yuck it up with some folks. But to sit there and inspect every pitch is a little tough. But hockey, it's fast-paced. They're moving. You know, there's and the game's not three and a half hours, right? And it's two and a half hours. You know, they have some pretty cool options. Not that I'm, not that I'm the guy that's going to be calling you from uh, you know, 1-800-Philadelphia-Flyers about your season ticket options, but they have, like, the weekday games, right? I don't know if you saw that option, right? But, you know, I don't know I don't know how many listeners, you know, used to travel for work or no longer work in the office or are more working out of their home office these days. But, like, maybe that's something to just kind of break up the monotony of working from home. You know, maybe it's a Tuesday night, maybe it's a Wednesday night, but hey, man, it gives you maybe something once every other week or once every week to look forward to in the winter. Yeah, it's not a huge commitment with a tailgate or uh, or a late night. You know, it's a seven seven thirty puck drop. You're out of there by ten, home by ten thirty, eleven eleven thirty. Worst case, depending where you live, and it's not a uh, it's not a whole kit and caboodle, and you're you're hurting like hell the next day. So. Yeah, hockey season's fun. I'm looking forward to to all of it. We got a new team in the league this year, Seattle Kraken. See see how they make out. And speaking of that Sixers logo, I was walking into to uh, BB and T Pavilion over in Camden for the Jonas Brothers the other night, and I looked at that I looked at that logo, and I was like, I thought to myself, man, I can show up for the Jonas Brothers for my old lady, but this guy can't show up for his teammates at at, at this training facility here. It's just just a disgrace. <laughs> well, that that smell that you sm- smelled when you drove over the bridge to Camden that was that was the remnants of Ben Simmons' locker getting cleaned out. So uh, hopefully they, they they remove his badge access. All right. Well, anything else on uh, 
on the Flyers. Yeah, let's just let's just hope hope that they're a team we can uh, we can rally behind. Yeah, it's funny. I was out uh, Sunday watching watching the Eagles game um, out in Philly, and you know just yucking it up with random people at the bar at the tables and. It was when the Eagles were losing, and, and the one woman was like, when did the Flyers start? And it, it, It's just so funny how vicious of a cycle it is as a Philly fan. Like, you had the Phillies all summer. You're waiting for the Eagles to, to, to bring you some good news. The Eagles are 1-3, and three, now 2-3. and three. You're looking for the Flyers. You know, maybe the Flyers start 0-3. Everyone's looking for the Sixers. And, it, you know, just go, goes round and round with, with not, a lot of, not a lot of success or, or excitement. So... But yeah, I was out watching that Eagles game uh, Sunday, and they got it done. I mean, better or for worse, wasn't pretty. Uh, Eagles won what, 2018, 2118? Yep. Um, got it done down down in North Carolina. Charlotte beat the Panthers. Uh, first half wasn't pretty. I think they were down 15-6 at the half. Gave up three points in the second half, and Finally, you know, resembled something of, of an NFL offense for a little bit in the second half there and a couple rushing scores from Hurts. Obviously, the big block punt late in the fourth quarter, I think, gave uh, turned the game and gave the Eagles that short field to punch it in. But, um, you know, it was kind of boring, kind of ugly. Got to give the defense some credit, and our boy Big Play Slay had two picks. Steven Nelson with another, the game sealer. They put on uh, their single-digit Superman capes. Yeah, they they were getting up and catching those balls, making making plays. It was it was exciting. So so good for them. Um, and, and we looked to we looked at Tampa Bay on on Thursday night. But what would you make of the game Sunday, Bomb? That was the worst win I've ever watched. <laughs> when is the last time you saw a team uh, get three interceptions, block a punt, and need like the final four minutes to win the game? That's such a good point. I, I, I didn't. That didn't even cross my mind. Because you know they say like the team that wins the turnover battle wins or, or covers covers a spread, not even wins a game, covers a spread seventy seven percent of the time, something like that. Yep. And, and we smoked the turnover battle. I don't know if we had any. In the game, I don't know. We might have had one. I don't know. And like, I think um, a blocked punt or a blocked field goal. I think the statistics even higher. Like, I remember when, not not to jump over to this bozo, but remember when like Urban Meyer was at Ohio State, and they would like block a, a punt like every other game or every third game, and the uh, honks at ESPN would say, "Urban Meyer is now fifty-two and one when they block a punt." It's like you can't lose when you block a punt. Here we are scrapping and clawing. Rolling out for a two-point conversion just so a field goal doesn't kill us. Like, what are we watching? Yeah, the, that's funny. The, the first half was so bad. I mean, obviously, the uh, the offensive game plan was still garbage. I mean, you had Dallas run for 250 on, on Carolina the week before, and, and we still refused to run the ball. Um, really no creativity. I feel like all the passing plays, the looks are like, wide receiver screens or, or, you know, little swing passes to Sanders for negative four yards, no, nothing creative, nothing over the middle, um, you know, nothing down the field. And you see a lot of Hertz dropping back, making his initial read and then having to, to jet from the pocket. And maybe that's some on him. Maybe that's some on the line. Maybe that's some on the play calling, but 
all in all, it was just ugly. But I thought the drive that, that kind of got them going was uh, was the drive before half where they got the field goal. Um, they actually started chucking the ball, playing with some tempo, and they got down, got three points there. And I think that was uh, the shot in the arm that they needed to, to get the offense going for, for the second half. Which, by the way, was what, like a 58-yard field goal? Yeah, I have to look it up. I got it in front of me. Hang on. 58-yard field goal, yeah. I mean, you're 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 scraping the bottom of the barrel to win this game with, like, the plays that occurred. Yeah, it wasn't – like I said, I mean, it wasn't pretty. But credit the defense. Um, credit, you know, the, the, the offense in the second half a little bit, I guess. And you got to give Hurts a lot of credit. I mean, I understand he's not great. I'm not here to, to say Hurts for franchise QB – but the guy never hangs his head. He just keeps playing. He's, he's very steady um, no matter what happens, no matter how ugly it gets. And he hung in there and, and, and got the job done and got the scores when they needed. And that, that they should have had the score in the first quarter, but Greg Ward is go, going out of his way to light up the cornerback on what should be a basic rub route that you know is taught at, at the middle school or high school level. Remember last week when we were talking about the the wide receivers and all the penalties when you know with these rub routes and asking if it's because the receivers are just morons or because the coaches teach it wrong? I think it's I think it, the coaches teach it wrong. There's no way you can allow that to happen. There's no way you can allow that guy to be on the field knowing you've practiced that in the red zone all week. And like you can't tell me that's the first time he did that. Yeah, and and I think you've said it in the- other people have said it, but Sirianni, his specialty was wide receivers, you know, before he got to be a coordinator and, and now a head coach. And and he can't coach up this this basic rub route. I mean, I look at that play. Greg Ward didn't need to touch the guy. You know, Smith already had a step. He already had a little space. I mean, if Greg Ward wasn't even on the field, I think that 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 pass gets completed if it's just one on one. Touchdown if he wasn't yeah. there. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But he goes out there and, and, and decks the guy. Clearly interferes with him. I mean, if the call was fine, and Sirianni's all fired up about the call on the sideline, it's like, dude, you're not, you, you're you're just not coaching it right. Like, we're not doing it right. Yeah, and I think it's it's disconcerting. You touched on it, the fact that this guy was his specialty. He was a wide receivers coach, and this is the product we're 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 getting. Um, you know, when 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 Andy Reid was here, and I'm, you know me, I'm not an Andy Reid apologist. In fact, I I, I I was so happy to get rid of that guy. Um, I, I don't think we ever would have won a Super Bowl with that guy here. Um, and, you know, props to him for for winning his out in KC. I'm not going to sit here and act like it was one of our championships, but, you know, good for him. The one thing you could say about Andy Reid, he was the quarterback's coach at Green Bay. I never felt like the quarterbacks were uh, – underperforming relative to their skill set. In fact, I always thought they they overperformed. You look at when McNabb would get injured, right? He brings in Detmer, who goes and wins a game out in San Francisco. He brings in A.J. Feely, who, you know, steadies the ship just with both consistent play calling and just, get you know, playing to his players' strengths, getting the ball out of his hands, run, even with Feely, he ran the football. Um, I'm not seeing that from Sirianni, both with his specialty, the wide receivers, and, and with the, the quarterback. Like, they're not putting this guy in any position to succeed. 
No, yeah, and I think that was the point I was trying to get to in, in terms of Hurts. Like, you got you to give him credit for, for the situation and the hand that he's been dealt. I mean, clearly this, this offensive scheme, <clears throat> excuse me, scheme and the play calling through five games has, has been nothing but questionable and, and pretty poor um, at, at most times. And but the guy just continues to, to put his head down and try to make plays and, and try to make throws. I thought the throw on the two point conversion to Devontae Smith when he was out on the roll, that was an awesome play. Like you can clearly see the athleticism there and the ability there. Um, but he, he's not he's not consistently put in a position to succeed. So, I mean, in order for, for this season to stay off of life support, there's there's got to there's got to be improvement in, in the game planning on offense. This season, you know what this season reminds me of? Like, just in terms of the style of play, the play calling, the... Are you got... Go ahead. You going Chip Kelly, Sam Bradford? His last year. Like, it reminds me of Chip Kelly's last year when everyone was like, what the fuck is S8? We keep running the same fucking plays. Like, it reminds me of that. And then also, like, that season, it felt like... It felt like the games that they won, it was like by the skin of their teeth. Remember like the New England game? <laughs> it was like they needed like a punt return, a kickoff return, a pump block. It was like every special team's play you could have, and they beat Tom Brady by like a touchdown or something. Like it just seems like when they win, they need everything to go right. When they lose, they get blown out. Yeah, it certainly feels that way this far, for sure. I completely agree. You got anything else on on the Seagulls the Seagulls game against Carolina and the, and the twenty one eighteen win? No, I I got nothing. I mean, uh, what a terrible way to spend your Sunday, win or not. That was a pathetic football game. Yeah, it was a good game to be be out at the bar for. But yeah, what well, wasn't pretty, but you know what? We're not going to sit here and, and argue with the win, but. Obviously, still. The good still, news is they don't have a ton, ton to correct on the short week. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they got, they got, they got minimal time to, to get it right to play the defending Super Bowl champs, the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady. Bucks come up Thursday night here on the short week, and we are going to pick the game here on this episode. Um, to make sure that everybody's got it for Thursday night so that they know which way not to go uh, on the game. As, uh, you know, you saw our picks over the weekend with minimal success. But uh, I was looking before the episode tonight, and the Bucks are a seven-point favorite Thursday night, seven-point road favorite against the Eagles. Thursday night football, those games are always so bad. I mean, even... He had two pretty solid teams last Thursday night in Seattle and the Rams, and, and that game was ugly. It's just it's just not a great product on the field uh, with, with the short week and lack of preparation time, but they do it anyway because they know we're all going to watch, and that's what we're going to do, and we're going to pick it. Um, Bob, you, you want to you offer a selection here? Why don't you go first? Um, all right, I got a lot to say about this game. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of thinking, a lot of analysis, a lot of research. Um, box minus seven. 
<laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't bring myself to, to bet the Eagles. Um, uh, I, I can't. I mean, I, I, gotta, I mean, the, the, this guy can't get the team ready on a normal week to, to come out <laughs> of the gates and, and get something to go. Now he's gone up against one of the best teams in football on a short week. Like that, that, that that's all, that's all, that's all the thinking that I had to do. Yeah, and what did Brady do Sunday? He like put up like what five hundred yards and five touchdowns, or four hundred yards and five touchdowns with no picks or something. Yeah, I know five touchdowns. I don't know what the yardage was, but lit it up. It was apparently like the best game of his like career, like you know, because there were no picks. I think the Super Bowl, you know, the fumble in the Super Bowl. But um, Brady is, uh, I think Brady's only ever lost one game in the regular season against the Eagles. Yeah, he's four and one in his career against the Birds, obviously with that game being that that uh Sunday evening, that four o'clock game up in in New England, the fifty-three angry men game, as they say. Chip Kelly's last stand with all the crazy punts and kicks and this and that and touchdowns. Um don't ever think it. Take take Brady in the Pats or <laughs> Brady in the Pats. If he was on the Pats, take them too. Take Brady in the Bucks. Um you know, think about all the work Jalen Hurts has to do before this game to figure out what the heck Todd Bowles is going to bring at him. And then think about Tom Brady and the fact that he's seen everything there is to see. And Tom Brady's older than our head coach and our defensive coordinator. Think about that. This guy's seen more football than, than, than our two coaches. So just fucking take the bucks, lay the points. You could be in bed by halftime. That's a that's a great point. Great thought. <laughs> and something that probably wouldn't cross a lot of people's minds that Brady is older than than our than our coach and our coordinator. That's wild. <laughs> he's he's certainly got the uh, the time machine working. That guy is Yeah, a- Arians is sixty nine. Like this guy's seen everything. Like go with the guys who, who know the game, who have shown that they can win the big game, who can sh- show that they're not gonna fold in these types of games like this is not a trap game for the Bucks. Like they're gonna, they're they're fully looking forward to the little, little mini buy coming off this Thursday night game. Like they're gonna come in, take care of business, and go the hell home. Yep, I see it the same way. Just just a quick business trip, quick quick flight to Philly. I saw the uh, the Tom Brady Instagram post Monday. You know he does after all the wins where he kind of like how I did it in the bathroom for the for the Penn State instant reaction. You know the the, the close up to the face. <laughs> and he he always says something cool and gets the rap song going in the background as has the highlights from the game, and he's like up to Philly next, and it's like yeah, this guy's just gonna absolutely destroy us. So, and is this the first the first game he no it's is it the first game he's played in Philly since the Super Bowl? I would think it is. No would, no 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 he came back 2019. The week after they played the Seahawks and like the Eagles were totally anemic on offense. Number eleven stunk. Remember he threw the swing pass out to Miles Sanders, ten feet over his head. Oh uh, yeah, yep. He yeah, came back, right. took care of business there. I think he covered. Someone checked that. I think he covered that week. Uh, and the Patriots, by the way, were not like great like during that game. But the guy like threw the ball away when he needed to throw it away. He's gonna come in with this newfangled offense, all the skilled players. 
it's going to be a warpath trying to spank this franchise. He still talks about the Eagles to this day. He was talking about it with, uh, was it Tafoya after the game a few weeks ago? Yes. Talking, um, talking about his, his great, when he, when he broke the record, talking about how he's a great receivers and he's not a good receiver as evidenced by the Super Bowl. Like, this guy like has the Eagles on his mind. They might win by 30. Yeah, he doesn't forget. I think it's an it's an easy easy pick, but you never know. But that's our. And what did you say the numbers at? Is it at seven or six and a half? Uh, I've seen six and a half and seven. If you can get it, you know, by the time this podcast drops, it'll be after Monday Night Football, so you'll get everybody looking towards Thursday. If you can get it at six and a half, hammer it because it might get to seven and a half. Yeah, I've I think it opened at six and a half and it's and it's at seven. Some some places might still have six and a half, but yeah, I mean I, I don't think it's going down, that's for sure. But we'll look we'll look forward to it. Maybe uh maybe the Eagles will surprise us, but it would certainly be a surprise. I, I think it'll be a be a relatively easy dub for the Bucks on Thursday night. And Bob, do you have anything else? No, I got to ask you a question. I got a, um, I got a flight at 7 a.m. the next day. So Friday morning. Friday morning. So which means what? You got to be at the airport. Let's just say 5:30. Sure. 5:45. I'm not a two hours guy, but let's just say 5:45, which means you leave the house. You know, for me, 4:45. At what point do you pull the plug Thursday night and go to bed? Uh. I think you watch the first half. I don't know if you're if you're a TV in the in the bedroom kind of guy. Um, I am. I, I can sleep with the TV on, so I would go. I would go first half on your couch or, or wherever you like to usually watch the game. Then I go up, brush my teeth at halftime, kick my feet up, turn the lights out, put the TV on, and and watch until I doze off. Um, I was going to say, as a ticket holder, you, you could go down Thursday night and pack your sleeping bag. And by the third quarter, the, the stands will probably be empty. You could lay it out, lay it out on the cement. It'll be nice and quiet. And uh, and then once the game's over, the lights will go out. You'll have a 15, 10, 15-minute 15 ride to the airport. You'll be ready to go. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. I like that idea. Yeah. Well, uh, safe travels, and uh, we'll we'll get uh we'll we'll get we'll get the board together for for college and for the NFL. Uh, this upcoming weekend, which will be Sands Penn State and Sands Eagles, um, but but we'll 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 bring something out to talk about uh, and give you some picks. Hope hopefully we'll fare a little bit better uh, than this past week. You know, bad weeks happen, but that's why we call it fade the shade, man. Any last words? No, no, nothing for me. All right, well we'll talk to everybody later in the week. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. We appreciate the support. We appreciate. The input and, and asking us to talk about topics, um, this, this is a lot of fun. So we'll talk to everybody later in the week um, and, and have a great week. Take care.